No sword fights, no gun fights. No otter turrets, no grenades. No, Lorca. I think this is what happens when you take Lorca out of the show. Is he still alive somewhere? Can we watch that show? I think he's still alive. I mean, they, they said there's no way a Starfleet person could make it in the mirror universe. <laughs> I have faith. Lorca, you can do it, buddy. That's true. I mean, Cornwall basically said, like, oh, I know him. He'd be dead by now. <laughs> so instead of laser blasts and gunfights, we got a lot of character development, a lot of yep. uh, conversations that been we, we've been waiting to hear. Yep. And a lot of theories confirmed. So the episode opens, first shot of Discovery, they're painting the U back on the hull. Theory confirmed, Starfleet is on the ball. <laughs> the moment they got the chance, they sent out, do you think they're droids, or do you think people they, are piloting those? They looked like droids to me, at least in the way they moved. I'm still hoping they're human-sized pods so that we get that <laughs> lower deck story. So that there's like a painter out there somewhere that, that got the job, they're like, hey, we're not pretending to be evil anymore go put the u back on the hole it's very important yeah i mean what if someone in starfleet saw that eye they might just start shooting at you hey that's that information wasn't classified at that point it's good devops <laughs> everybody gets a chance to talk to everybody and have a little uh debrief post yeah. universe it was kind of funny each scene came up i was like oh which combination characters are gonna talk to each other and finally work out that problem they had yep it was a kind of a day for working out problems. It was. Uh, let's see. What do we start with? We start with uh, Saru finding out that they eat Kelpians in the Mirror Universe. That's a pretty big problem. Via Giorgio saying it in the super tactful way, uh, I dined on your entrails yesterday or something? We dined. We, yeah. Yeah, she, she dragged Michael into that one. Yeah. I don't even know what to say. <laughs> I've, I've been afraid of this moment, and I guess if anyone was going to do it, it was the Empress. Or, I was corrected. We should call her Emperor, because she never refers to herself as Empress. If she That's referred true. to herself, it's fine. But. Uh, her, her Highness. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, she did it. <laughs> Way to go. Yep. That's uh, check number one for crazy things she's causing to happen in the Prime Universe. And resolving little uh, secrets very quickly. What other secrets have we got? Uh, well, then we find out that Ash is Ash. <laughs> uh, Saru has a discussion with the new chief medical officer, who doesn't have a name. He, yeah. Well, <laughs> do, do you think they elect the chief that quickly? I don't know. I figured they just do the duty roster for a while and then <laughs> eventually get around to getting a chief. But yeah, uh, theory confirmed. Ash is Ash, but he's got Volk's memories, and he seems like a bigger jerk than ever. I think we're he, supposed to have sympathy for him in this episode, but I just don't. I, I guess he has even more stuff to be traumatically stressed about now that's true huh he has like he has two people's terrible memories god how, how would that feel like no you weren't actually tortured you're an implant on someone else and you're living in their body now how does that make you feel eli that's a good question who is ash <laughs> well michael doesn't want to see him uh for obvious reasons right she's, she's not ready for that conversation right well not until the end of the episode but we'll get there <laughs> Um, we get a recap of the situation, which is that uh, it's bad. The Klingons are conquering, yes. but it's made very clear that this is not a unified front. So right. a little bit of little kink in the armor. So they don't, they don't have like an overall strategy. They're just kind of causing damage. Yeah, and Starfleet's making the good point here where this isn't really a military war anymore. It's yeah. just the Klingons kind of going berserker mode and just <laughs> conquering anything they can to show up the other houses. And the real trouble we're having is this stupid internal pride competition is just... Sure. Well, and I think where this is leading is that we're going to get, you know, back to the tip that Burnham got from uh, Valk in the Mirror Universe, is that the houses have to be united to be at peace. Yes, yes. 
or we blow up Kronos, but <laughs> one of well, those two things has to happen. We're getting to that. <laughs> but I think that's going to be the, uh, the sort of uh, counterintuitive solution to the war. But I do have to point out, when you have an organization like Starfleet that is all sort of, in theory, using one strategy, and you have 24 Klingon houses that are all using different strategies, the one should probably be doing better. The unified front. Yeah. yeah. I mean, just for if, resources. If, That's what Janeway always taught us, was you, we unify so we can share resources right. and empower each other. And that's the idea of the Federation. I mean, the Federation is not just Earth. It's, you know, a bunch of worlds. But they do make the point that those cloak ships are what's really causing the trouble, because they're doing um, kamikaze runs now. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. true. It's And, you know, one of those things that people always speculated about is if you could just take a cloak ship into a starbase, they did it. Yeah. They worked turns out uh what they captured a starbase of eighty thousand, yeah. and they had 250 warriors left <laughs> wow so they're not worried about attrition so things are things are going bad for the federation we've established that everything about the mirror universe is going to be classified and destroyed yeah uh um, sewing up that plot line <laughs> that's why kirk didn't know about it it does it does kind of wrap that up nicely uh they give some decent reasoning for it i guess I guess the idea is that if people found out there was an alternate universe and that we could kind of get there, then they would jump ship and all want to go there. I guess that's a that's a very high sci-fi concept. It is, and it's a reasonable concern when you consider, you know, the state of technology uh, in the Federation. Sooner or later, somebody's going to get their hands on a transporter or a ship and fly into an <laughs> ion storm, and, you know. Yeah, absolutely. But uh, my mind can't help but to wander to how Kirk would just jump in time whenever he needed to, slingshot around the sun. <laughs> and so there's already kind of a known way to escape your present circumstances. True, true. Whatever, uh, that's in the future. I that, guess that's modern tech. Not, not everybody knows the slingshot around a sun trick. Oh, okay, maybe that got classified too. But something else I thought about is the, um, you know, the, the Klingon houses are causing all this trouble. They're not united. They're just like uh, rogue groups going out and doing their own thing. But they're managing to cause a lot of damage. And I feel like that's also kind of a lesson about um, technology and how, how much damage it can cause in the wrong hands, especially in this sure. universe. Yeah, I always have to remind myself that, that I think they always make the point that one Starfleet vessel could destroy a planet if yeah. it so chose. Yeah. If nothing else, its reactor could just explode and <laughs> destroy the ecology. So, yeah, I mean, these are people wielding great power. And I think yeah. Discovery's doing a good job, though, of making that clear. Yeah, and it's, it's a good example of, of what happens when the wrong people have the power and wield it uh, irresponsibly. Uh, next conversation on the checklist is uh, Admiral Cornwall and Mirror Giorgio. Aha, which yes. Which we knew was going to be an interesting one. Uh, basically, Cornwall just tells her, like, hey, uh, you're not a prisoner, but also we don't really know how to send you back, and we've got other things to worry about, so enjoy your hotel room. Yeah, it was a very diplomatic, um, I'm just it, here because I was. guess you're an emperor. <laughs> it, it was a very uh, very pragmatic, very Starfleet response. Uh, so next, uh, Ash runs into Stemets uh, in the hallway, and they have a little conversation about murder and regret. This was the beginning of, let's see how the crew has reacted to Ash, and it starts out with the worst person, <laughs> Stemets. <laughs> And Stemmets handled it really well, good for him, but my god, I don't think I would have done that. If I was Ash, I just wouldn't have left my quarters, period. Yeah, that seems reasonable. I mean, I guess context is important. This is the Star Trek universe. Uh, people get taken over by things, they get controlled by alien mindworms and stuff. It happens. 
I did have to keep reminding myself of that. Like, this happened all the time in Next Generation, where people would yeah. do terrible things, as in <laughs> altered being or whatever, altered mental state. Right. And then in the end, everyone's like, let's go play poker. <laughs> so you're right. Uh, forgiveness is in the nature of Starfleet, but yeah. it's hard when it's this visceral. Like, it's really in our faces now. It's true, and that, that one was awfully personal. But the next scene, he goes to the mess hall, and initially everyone's a little standoffish, but then Tilly goes and sits at his table. Tilly's got some newfound confidence from wearing that gold armor for a while, I think. <laughs> well, she made it clear, even in the early episodes, that um, she doesn't want to just do what everyone else does. Right. So this seemed like a real good moment for Tilly. And it also kind of mirrors the scene when uh, Burnham first comes into the mess hall. That's right. No fights this time. Oh. <laughs> it could have gone totally different, I guess you're right. <laughs> No, but uh, actually, I felt like Ash might have got a little overwhelmed there. I mean, he just, just like, it was a big trauma he just suffered. Yeah. And now, all of a sudden, a bunch of Starfleet people are trying to be nice to you. I would have really <laughs> gone back to my apartment. <laughs> now I want to talk about the ill-fated, poor Starbase One. Starbase so, One is, I mean, that's that's like the first one, right? Or the biggest or the, be the like, best defended, maybe? Yeah, you'd think it'd be in a close orbit or something. <laughs> they said practically in Earth's backyard, so I guess it's not quite there. Maybe it's out by Jupiter or something. I bet you someone knows. A nearby system, maybe. Uh, but it got attacked, uh, apparently so badly that it didn't even uh, get out a distress call. Oh, that's true. Yeah, I didn't even realize that. Because yeah. they had no warning. They're expecting to put it up on sensors. Mm-hmm. But then we get our Star Wars moment. Uh, Alderaan's not there. A little, little Star Wars. A little uh, Enterprise arrives at Vulcan from that movie. Oh, no. That, that was totally different. There was, a, <laughs> there was a fleet out there to meet them. This was just empty in space. <laughs> it's true. Well, not quite empty. Um, because it has been taken over. We uh-huh. mentioned everyone murdered. The Klingons are there. They spray-painted their sign on it yeah and uh we see that the admiral's not at the top of her game she is a little freaked out and saru has to take over good for him he's kind of like battle hardened Lorca did train him <laughs> he's like get us the f out of here that's true this is another another point for uh captain saru uh the admiral's kind of kind of not sure what to do next and he jumps in and acts captainly <laughs> not only does he act captainly he looks captainly he's so tall you just feel like, of course he's the authoritative figure in the room. He's oh, yeah. taller than everyone else. <laughs> I noticed also we got uh, his threat ganglia popped out as soon as they came out of warp. Constantly. Yeah. <laughs> well, there was a suspicious sign or something, like uh, they weren't answering a hail or yeah, something. Yeah, yeah. We knew something was wrong. <laughs> but that's forced us to have to regroup and come up with a plan B, because plan A was go chill out at Starbase 1 for a while. Yeah. Now we can't do that. Yeah, plan A was go back to the stronghold and uh, regroup and, and come up with a plan, and that's not an option anymore. Do you like this totally downtrodden Starfleet, the completely beat-up Starfleet? Because, like, who's left anymore? There's, like, five admirals. A third of the but fleet they, was wiped out. But only 20%. <laughs> Is it half or 20%? I don't understand. There's a lot of numbers bouncing around. There are. Starfleet's not doing well. But... Uh, 20, 20% of the system's half the fleet, I think. But I think it's also the civilian casualties that are becoming a problem. Too. You know, I was thinking about this, and there was... Uh, is what, 80,000 people on Starbase 1? Yeah. And the Federation has a population of, like, a 100 trillion or something? Yeah. I mean, not to downplay that, that hey, tragedy, Starfleet's but... Starfleet's hard, dude. Not everyone gets through Starfleet training. <laughs> it's a lot of work to well, be said, on a Starbase. They said civilians. I mean, civilians are a dime a dozen. Yeah, the... you're right. Okay. The Klingons aren't on Earth, but they made the point that that is... If not like their real goal, it's the goal in the back of their head. Sure. Like, I mean, this war's not over Whichever. Until... 
if if one of the houses sacks Earth, that's like major kudos. I think this is when this might have been my favorite scene is when Admiral Cornwell speaks to Laurel. Because I had actually completely forgotten that they even knew each other, to be thoroughly honest. <laughs> I, I was actually really looking forward to the follow-up on that, because the last time they talked, there was... Uh, I guess Laurel was kind of uh, enacting a plan, mm-hmm. but I felt like there was a connection there. Yep, and the connection allowed us to get a little insight into the Klingons. Uh, Cornwell's just like, how do we end this war? We don't yeah. want to be fighting this. And Laurel replies you can't they're totally in a berserker mode right now the klingons and they're just not gonna stop i thought this was a good i thought this was a really interesting really uh, honest conversation of, of all the conversations in this episode this was a very well, honest one it's it's honest if she's right about her race like i remember an enterprise remembering that there's not just the warrior class of klingons there yeah. were the scientists and all the others so i feel like i wonder i wonder if that's gonna become a thing in i this. hope so i really hope so i hope they become a more three-dimensional society we've got the religious side we've got their I, warrior side i swear we were promised that at one point mm-hmm. <laughs> burnham goes off to see Giorgio um to ask how how do we end the war uh in as violent a manner as possible we had a lot of uh, parental representation in this episode. Sarek was there. He was her ward. Giorgio's there, who was her mother, not mother, from That's a true. different universe. <laughs> but either way, she, yet again, she asked her parental unit, how do we win this war against the Klingons? That's true. She's asked uh, two versions of Sarek and uh, Volk and now Giorgio. That's true. She did ask the other Sarek when they were down on that base. Yeah, I nice talked point. to him briefly. Yeah, uh, so... I, I don't know. I, she must be writing a thesis. Maybe she's trying to get her doctorate. <laughs> <laughs> she really needs the answer to this question. Yep. And um, the emperor tells her, well, there's really only way to beat the Klingons. And it's the uh-huh. same advice Laurel gave Cornwell. You have to beat the Klingons. That's the only way to get them to stop. I, you know, and they use a like a cancer analogy in this, I guess. The analogy wasn't was that it something great. Something about tumors and and the sort. I feel like, but I feel like this is just another analogy for like cut off the head of the snake. Yes, <laughs> they just didn't want to say cut off the head of the snake because the CW does it too much. So well, they did that in in uh, the first episode too. Oh, never mind. Yes, yeah. right. Okay. So she's getting the same advice from everybody. That's true. <laughs> a Vulcan hello. That's how you beat the Klingons. This was a this was a Vulcan goodbye. The head, the metaphorical head or source of the tumor in whatever analogy we're using, is Kronos. Good old Kronos. And I had the subtitles on, and I noticed they used, what, you told me the correct spelling with a Q. And and a lot of apostrophes. Wow, that's cool. It is. Yeah. Um, So they're going to go there and blow up, what did they say, uh, military targets and stuff? Yeah, they're going to beam there and try to do a, a very precise strike. Right, but to and do the which, strike, they need the map. They need the map. That's our MacGuffin. Mm-hmm. We need a map. That's that's our um, RPG moment of the episode. Of To do the strike, we need the map. To get so, the map, we need the blue key. Discovery already found a map. They found the key to the cloaking device by mapping. True. So now Discovery gets to go map again. All they have to do is mycelial way their, their way into the atmosphere. Into the into the conveniently uh, placed and sized enormous caves that permeate Kronos. Must be a very unstable place with all those caves. <laughs> Lots it's of volcanoes. Lots yeah. of volcanoes. I mean, how else would Kalos have forged his batleth if he didn't have convenient access to lava? He could have just hired someone or used electricity. That's not very Klingon. Okay. <laughs> to get the map... They have to spore jump into Kronos. To spore jump into Kronos, they need spores. Oh, yeah. Little kink in the... Pr- and they're out of spores. And all their spore plants are dead. 
but Stemitz has a plan. I thought for sure we were going to go hire Harry Mudd to go get us some spores at this point, but no, Stemitz has a plan. That would have been fun. I thought maybe he knew a place to get them or something. Yeah, right. Like we were going to go to some kind of uh, tardigrade paradise. Some trade negotiations to happen. Ugh. <laughs> but no, his plan is apparently to terraform a moon, plant mushrooms on it, and harvest the spores. I did not catch why they couldn't just do this on the ship. I think he made the point that his little research buddy said that you have to contain them. But oh. he's always wanted to let the spores run free. Got it. So he free thinks, so it would take years to grow them on the ship, but he thinks that free-range spores will grow faster. Must be, because, boy, these puppies grew. Not to jump too far ahead, but I've never seen mushroom <laughs> growth of that kind before. Uh, they really did, and they there was a lot of effects. I mean, I think the, most of the effects in this episode were doing the, the spore propagation thing. Yeah, the little deployment probes yeah, that Tilly yeah. was working on. Which is kind of fun. I like, I like that our effects budget in this episode was uh, science stuff. That's true. And I always did like the effect of the little forest on the ship. Uh-huh. So doing a full living planet kind of thing. Yeah, big scale. That was yeah. cool. Yeah, it even gave the moon like a little atmosphere. I saw it kind of glowing in the distance in a couple shots. <laughs> Unless that was the planet. Uh, but I noticed I like when I noticed when the probes were going in, they they heated up. So there must have been some kind of atmosphere there, right? Also, this was something where they uh, they kind of faked us out last week doing the next time on on Discovery. Because they, sh- they had uh, Giorgio talking about how you have to be all, you know, brutal and stuff. And then they show the things launching out of the ship and then, like, the shock waves on the surface. Mm-hmm. And it turns out those were all uh, beneficial shock waves of life. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well put, sir. Yeah, I thought that was really funny. The, um, what do they call them? EM darts. And yeah. they were just shooting light into the ground to promote growth, I guess. <laughs> so they had their little mini Genesis devices, I guess. Something had to maybe make a, that planet grow Maybe a predecessor so to that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm proud of Stamets, though. That, that feels like a real moment for him. Yeah, it was, of, it was cool. A super science experiment. He got to go back to his original plant. He seemed so proud of it. Free the mycelium. <laughs> but they got their spores. Uh, they're ready to go to Kronos. Um, and then we have a couple more conversations to have. Oh, you're not talking about Burnham and Ash, are you? I mean, it had to come up eventually. All right, she's you been avoiding... You didn't she was just going to avoid him the whole episode, did you? Man, everyone, she got a talking to by Tilly. I mean, when Tilly is yelling at you to go do something, I yeah. guess you kind of have to. Yeah. Closure, man. Closure. I guess. It's, cl- it's been a day. <laughs> <laughs> Let things sit for a few seconds. <laughs> uh, so they have a conversation about uh, stuff, how Ash was a secret Klingon, and he tried to kill her, and how she's has complicated feelings about their relationship. I entered the scene waiting for Ash to win me over. I, I've always been pro-Ash. I, I, he was a great character, and I used was there on purpose because <laughs> I think he really dug himself in a hole on this one. He used a terrible line. He's, yeah. he, he threw back at um, Burnham that the reason she wants that she's so angry at him is that she couldn't take their relationship, especially when when uh, when things got complicated. Complicated. <laughs> oh, poor Ash. No, it's not complicated. You're abusive, and you're turning this around on uh, her, and it's but terrible, even, dude. I mean, complicated is like, you know, you don't do the dishes, or, you know, your mom came to live with us, and it was weird. Like, even by Star Trek standards, this was a complicated relationship. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But even so... Dude, you're in the doghouse here. Don't go on the offensive. Don't go telling her how she's done true. things wrong. It's like true. she was looking for you to be good there too. Like you know, act a little contrite about the fact that you were a secret Klingon. Perhaps you know. 
I don't know. What do you think? I mean, the outcome of the conversation is that uh, they're done. Right. And I'm I'm happy for this. I I'm on Burnham's side with this. I liked Ash before, yeah. but right now, no. I mean, and maybe he'll have kind of a redemptive arc or something. You know, it's kind of interesting that he's he's in the same place now that uh, she was when they met. You know, kind of stripped of rank and likely just going away once all this is over. But now we have one more surprise, and this is kind of hilarious. <laughs> it is. So the emperor she got into everyone's heads, including Sarek. Uh huh. And somehow convinced them to kind of put her in charge of this yeah, operation. I guess uh, she convinced Sarek, and Sarek went off and convinced the council. You think um, that's what he was doing on Vulcan? I think that's where he headed off to, yeah. I was afraid he was making red matter. <laughs> Can go fix this once and for all. <laughs> we know how to destroy planets. <laughs> but a funny thing happens that... Uh, no one knows that she was the emperor on the yeah. bridge or on the crew or definitely outside the ship. Well, so so Cornwall comes in and introduces Captain Giorgio as uh, Giorgio Prime, who Long had been lost. conveniently rescued in a daring uh, mission, and now she's here, yeah, and in charge for some reason. I I thought maybe it would make more sense if she was a consultant. Definitely. I can't believe they brought her right out to the limelight. <laughs> Not even like, oh, and by the way, she's in a desk somewhere back at Starbase 2. Well, but she took off her eyeliner, so... I, <laughs> she took clear, off the gold Clearly plating. she's, you know... She's not wearing the sword anymore. <laughs> Do you think she has a phaser strapped to her back? I'm sure it's hidden somewhere. Yeah, that's true. Everybody from the Mirror Universe. Wow, has a so they're playing hidden. such a con on the crew. Oh this my is, god, this can't end well. So then, like, I don't know what her plan is, but I'm sure it's something that's not going to be good for Kronos. Destroy Kronos to sure, ashes. Probably, is, I think, what she said earlier. We can guess she wants to destroy it, but we know that's not the way. You got to unify not, the Klingons, not destroy the Klingons. Oh, it's counterintuitive. But it's so Starfleet. Why it's don't they know they're Starfleet? <laughs> And maybe next week we will. Yeah, I feel like next week's going to be a pretty huge episode. Uh, we, we just teed up a lot of things to happen. I mean, it's the season finale, and we spent like 40 bucks on special effects in this episode, so I got to imagine <laughs> Exploding Planet at the very least. 